Today's Sunday. Let's say you knew, dead certain, that Friday was your last day. That's all you got. Today's Sunday, you're going down in a blaze of glory on Friday. What do you do this week? Don't answer out loud. What do you do this week? Now, you're not suddenly Superman and you can be all these different places. You didn't win the lottery. It's, it's you. So you can't, it's got to be something that you could actually do. What are the things that you would do today, tomorrow, Wednesday, Thursday, leading up to Friday? Think about that. I'm going to read this. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Tell them the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They said, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. And said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. The day will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. So Jesus has spent three years in public ministry. Most people think he's about 30 years old when he... Uh, when he was baptized by John. And then Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, mo- the bulk of those stories is all about what he did for these three years of life in public ministry. And then the, the end of each of those books is about the last week of his life. Some people call that Passion Week. So this is Sunday of Passion Week. This is Sunday before Easter. So it's, it's Palm Sunday if you've grown up in church. That's what's happening on this day. So this last week of Jesus' life, He does three things. He enters Jerusalem on a donkey. He goes and wreaks havoc in the temple, causes a bunch of problems. We're going to talk about that next week. And then he has a meal with his disciples, and that's what we're going to talk about in two weeks. I don't know what what came to your mind when I asked you what you would do if you only had five days left, but I think whatever it was, it would say something about what's important to you. When, When time is compressed like that, and you know I've only got a handful of hours left, The things that are important rise to the surface and everything else kind of fades away and we go for those things that are the most important to us. If if the biggest deal to you is leaving a legacy, then you're going to do something maybe with your children or your grandchildren to make sure that that legacy is secure. If there was this place that you always wanted to go, maybe that's what you go and do. I, I don't know what came to your mind, but I would bet if we went through the room and you got to list what are the three things I do in the next five days. They would tell us something about what's important to you and what you value. And I think the same thing is true with Jesus. He could have done anything. This is the last week of his life. And this is what he chose. Doesn't exactly to me look like he went out with a bang. Riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, turning over some tables in the temple, having a meal with his disciples. No massive miracles here. No, he didn't go to the temple and draw a crowd and do the show and say, see, I'm, I'm the guy you've all been waiting for. 
some pretty symbolic acts that these guys got that we're going to try to understand that show us a lot about who he is, what's important to him, how we need to respond to him heading into Easter. So that's the next three weeks for us. This week we're going to look at this thing. If you have a Bible, it probably says the triumphal entry on top. So again, Jesus has been wandering around for three years. At some point in this journey, he realizes he's got to go to Jerusalem. And Luke's gospel, I think it's like in 12 or 13, uh, the, Luke says Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. So he starts walking in this direction. He knows he's going to die there. And he's, he's, he's getting close. People who study this say Jesus wandered around for about 3,000 miles. He walked around during the three years that he's on earth. And so now it's the final, literally, it's the last mile. He's got one mile left to go. And he calls two of his guys and says, I want you to go get me a donkey. He's walked 2,999 miles. He's not tired. He can do one more mile. But he says, go get me a donkey. So they go get this donkey for him. He sits on it and he goes riding in to the city. There's massive celebration. In John's gospel, immediately before this, maybe just within a couple of weeks before this instance, Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead. You can go back and read that. I think it's in John 11 and 12. So he's raised, John 11, he's raised Lazarus from the dead. And John says the guys who saw that all ran ahead to Jerusalem to tell everybody what was going on. This is set during the Passover feast. Passover was a huge celebration. The population of Jerusalem skyrockets because all these pilgrims are coming into the temple to celebrate Passover. And they're reminded of the first Passover where their ancestors were enslaved to the Egyptians and God used Moses to set them free. You remember that, the plagues, the frogs, and the blood, and the gnats, and all that stuff, and they crossed the Red Sea. That's, they're celebrating all of that, that the angel of death passed over the Jewish children, didn't kill them, killed the firstborn of all the Egyptians, and Pharaoh said, I'm done, you guys get out of here. So they, the, the, the Jews are set free, and they're remembering all of that during this week. So you've got these, these expectations are, are rising the Jews are living under the oppression of the Roman government, and they're thinking, we need someone like Mo- we need somebody to deliver us. Just like Moses delivered our ancestors from Pharaoh, we need someone who will deli- de- deliver us from Caesar, somebody who will set us free. Jesus has a reputation. He spent three years in this general vicinity doing miracles. People know about him. They know what he's been doing. Several times they've tried to make him the king, and he said, I'm not now. He slipped through. The crowds, he's refused the push to be more confrontational towards Rome. He's, re, he's uh, resisted the temptation to really step in and grab hold of power. And now, the final week of his life, he's, he rides this donkey into this crowd, and everybody knew what he was doing. Zechariah 9, 9 says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you. Righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. We don't know Zechariah 9.9. They knew Zechariah 9.9. They're looking for this liberator, this deliverer, this king who will come from God to set them free. And they know he's going to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. And here's this guy that spent three years walking around, working miracles, teaching things that nobody has ever heard. They've pushed him to be the king. He's always said no. And now, during this great festival, he says, go get me a donkey because I'm going to ride into Jerusalem. Everybody is going nuts. They rush out. They lay their coats down in front of him. They're waving palm branches. 
All of these things are alluding to times in the Old Testament where a king comes riding in. This is not Jesus saying, I want to be your king. He's not throwing his hat into the ring. When, the king, when, this, when this man comes riding in on a donkey, he's saying, I am the king. I've already won. This is a declarative statement by Jesus, not a claim to the throne, a declaration that he's already sitting on it. And he's riding into Jerusalem, and all of these people are going nuts. This thing about the donkey, that half the thing is about the donkey. You'd think it maybe focus a little more on him riding in Jerusalem. Nine verses about him getting a donkey to ride. It's not his, though. He takes this, that's called stealing where we live. You can't take something that's not yours. He does. He says to the guys, go get it. And when they say, why are you getting it? Tell them the Lord needs it. Try that tomorrow at the bank. It doesn't work unless you're the king. And then it's all yours. And you can take whatever you need. And that's what he's saying. The whole, that this thing about a donkey, which is irrelevant, we don't get it. It, Jesus, it's a concrete demonstration. I am the king and I need this. So everything in my kingdom, I can appropriate for my own use. And so he does. And the guys respond, yeah. The owners of the donkey say, man, what are you taking this for? The Lord needs it. All right. That's enough for me. He's declaring he is the king as he walks into Jerusalem. And everybody is excited. There's this buzz in the air. And, and they get it. The people are saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. They know what he's doing and they're responding. They're calling him the king. The Pharisees get it. They're saying, you've got to tell these guys to shut up. Tell them to be quiet. And Jesus says, no, they're right. If they don't say it, the stones will cry out. Creation recognizes when the king comes. And if we don't say something, reality itself, creation itself, will testify to the fact that Jesus is the king and he is coming. Everybody's on board with this. And look at his response. You would think to me, this is the pinnacle. This is it. This is what he's been working for towards for three years. He's been laying foundation for this, teaching about the kingdom of God, doing miracles that point to the inbreaking of the kingdom of God, erasing people's expectations and then building them back according to what he wants. You would think, he's like, yes, they get it. They understand what I'm doing. He saw the city and he wept. In the Bible, we read that he cries twice, once when Lazarus dies and then now. He weeps because on the outside, it looks like they get it, but they are so wrong. They're not even the ballpark of getting it, and he realizes it. He knows what's going to happen. He might not know exactly how it's going to play out, but he knows it's just a matter of time, and I'm going to be hanging on a cross. And these guys who right now are thrilled that I'm riding in on a donkey are going to be screaming crucify him in a matter of days because I'm not going to meet their expectations. They're looking for a king in the Old Testament mold. They're wanting a king who'll come in and raise an army and fight Rome. At the very least, they're looking like someone like Moses who's going to wave the staff around and bring the plagues and the Romans are going to leave. Man, he's not going to do any of those things. And these guys who are thrilled, excited, overjoyed at his coming in just a matter of days are going to be... Realize what they're saying when they say crucify him. That's not fire him. That's not dock his pay for a month. That's not we want to ignore this guy. That's 
publicly torture and humiliate him and then kill him. They, everyone in this time, crucifixions were public executions that were intended to intimidate everybody else. They were brutal by design because it was meant to say, do you want to cross the line too? Because this is what happens to you if you do. This is bloodthirsty, hot anger, because Jesus doesn't meet their expectations. And they go from seemingly loving him to wanting the worst for him, hating him, in just a few short days, all because he doesn't meet their expectations. They misread everything that he's doing. He gets it. And that's why he weeps on the way into the city. He knows they don't understand. They think I'm coming in here and I'm about to become the commander of an army. And we're about, there's World War at this point one is going to happen. And we're wiping out the Roman armies. And that's not what I'm doing. I'm going to get arrested and I'm not going to fight back. And my guys are going to try to fight back and I'm going to say no. You can't fight back. This is the direction that we're heading and they're going to be ticked off. They misread his kingdom. So then they rejected him as the king. And when you reject him as the king, you bring judgment on yourself. It's ironic. Jerusalem means something like city of peace. And Jesus is the prince of peace. And he comes to bring peace. Remember we said peace is not the absence of conflict. It's the presence of harmony. It's the presence of well-being. That's what Jesus comes to bring. And this city of peace rejects it and brings judgment on itself. This stuff about the embankments and encircling and hemming in, all that happens in 70 A.D. when the Romans siege Jerusalem and level it, about 40 years in the future. Jesus sees this happening and says, because you guys have rejected me, the Prince of Peace, you're bringing judgment on yourself. This is a bit of a tangent. The consequences of rejecting Jesus are inherent in the choice itself. The consequences of drinking too much Jack Daniels are inherent in the choice itself. You're going to wake up the next morning, you're going to be hungover. Nobody else needs to make you feel bad. You feel bad enough because of what you did, physically. Same thing is true when you reject Jesus. Nobody needs to, you don't need lightning bolts sent from heaven. You're living against, you're living cross at cross purposes with the universe. You're swimming upstream. And the consequences of that choice are inherent in the choice. Jesus says this in Luke 20, 18. Everyone who falls on that stone, which is him, will be broken to pieces. So that's kind of like throwing a piece of pottery on a stone. It's going to bust. And he on whom this stone falls, that's Jesus, will be crushed. What he's saying is, if you can't accept who I am and what I'm doing, if you're going to choose to reject that, your life is going to go to pieces. Not because God hates you and he's pushing the red button to zap you every day, but because you are choosing to live in a way that runs counter to everything in you and runs counter to everything in the universe. You can't do that for long without getting beat up and bruised. The consequences of choosing to reject the Prince of Peace, the consequences are conflict, war, destruction, you're unplugging from the one who brings peace, which means you're plugging in. You don't have that. If God is the source of all good things and you're saying, I'm not going to live with you and in the way you want, then what are you left with? If you've, if you've disconnected from the source of all good things, what is left? The source of not all good things. God doesn't have to judge that. 
It's judging itself. So I, ju- I just say that to you. Just know that. If at some point along the way you make a choice and say, I'm not going to live according to the, the plans and purposes of God. I'm going to choose to live in my own direction. You might be a wonderful person, moral, and you help old ladies cross the street, and you tie little kids' shoes, and you all of that stuff. And it's wonderful. And you give, and you serve, and everybody likes you. That's awesome. If you are disconnected from the source of everything good, your life is going to fall apart. It, it can't do otherwise. Because you said, I don't want any of this good stuff. You can't enjoy the benefits of the kingdom unless you choose to live under the reign of the king. It's both. Not one or the other. That was a tangent, sorry. So here's what I want to ask you. Three questions. Are you missing the king? These people miss the king. Some of them flat out rejected. That was the religious leaders. They didn't want anything to do with Jesus. They hated him when he came riding in. Others, it was unmet expectations. That was the crowd. I think they were sincere in their desire to say, this is the king. But when Jesus didn't meet their expectations, rather than accepting him for who, the, who, who he was, they turned on him. And that's, are you in either of those camps? Have you either just flat out said, I'm out. I'm rejecting him as the king. Some people do that for intellectual reasons. Science has disproved the existence of God. Just silly. Science can't prove the that leprechauns don't exist, much less that God doesn't exist. That's not how it works. I don't mean that, that I'm not slamming anybody, it just doesn't work that way. You can't, you can't. That's beyond the realm of science to prove that. The Bible's full of contradictions. The church has caused so much pain and suffering during its lifetime. I just can't get on board with that. Christianity is too exclusive. Any of those things, those are intellectual objections to the faith. And that might be you or someone you love, and that's what's keeping you from receiving this king who wants to come. And just, I would ask you, is that really it? If I or someone else could answer that objection to your satisfaction, would you say, okay, I'm in? And if the answer is absolutely, that's what's keeping me out, I would be in if you could answer that. Then, for the love, come talk to me. Please, let's figure it out. If that's what's keeping you out, the biggest decision of your life, are you going to say yes to this king? And you're going to let one of those questions keep you out, then please investigate that. If I'm not smart enough, I'll find someone who is, and we'll talk about it. If the answer is no, if you're honest, if it's no, if you answer that, I'm coming up with another one. Then it's not an intellectual objection. It's a smokescreen, and you need to be honest about that and say that's not the issue. And for many people I've found, that's not the issue. There's something more personal that keeps them from saying yes to Jesus. And I think that's where many of us might find ourselves. Again, whether it's intentional or not, whether Jesus, a lot of times it's because he hasn't met our expectations and we're disappointed and so we withdraw. At some point along the way, we expected God to do something and he didn't do it. We expected him to not do something and he did. He just, and we get disappointed because he didn't act the way we thought he should. And so we disengage from him on some level, and there's at least some area of our life where we'd say, no, the king has not come, or we would say, absolutely, I'm missing the king in this area of my life, and it's because we're disappointed with the Lord. We prayed for this, and we got that, and we're not happy about it. Something happened, he could have intervened, he didn't intervene, and we're disappointed with him, and so 
For a lot of us, it's at the bottom of our heart. It's not conscious. It's way down deep, but we've kind of unconsciously or subconsciously disengaged from him because he's disappointed us in some way. If that's you, if you're missing the king, I want you to realize the implications of that playing all the way out. If you miss the king, you don't get to enjoy the benefits of the kingdom. In order to enjoy the benefits of the kingdom, you have to live under the reign of the king. That's all good things. That's the peace that he comes to bring. That's in every area of life. If that's you and you would say, you know what, I've disengaged on some level. You've got to rip the band-aid off. It's going to hurt. You've got to rip it off. And the way to do that is to acknowledge where you're. You just need to acknowledge, God, you disappointed me here or here or here. And then you can work through it from there. But the first step is you have to acknowledge that you've disengaged from him, that you're, maybe you haven't missed him, maybe you're ignoring him, in, at least in some area of your life. Second question, are you experiencing the peace that this king wants to bring? Is it well with your soul? Upward in your relationship with God, Jesus came to allow, to reconcile us to God, to make peace with God possible. Again, this is not absence of conflict, this is the presence of harmony and well-being. Is that with, are, are you there with the Lord right now? If not, then no, you haven't experienced the peace that Jesus wants to bring you inwardly, internally. Are you experiencing this peace? Can you, can you say, it is well with my soul? Or are you striving? Or are you frustrated? Or are you confused? Or are you broken? Or are you hurt? Is there something swirling in here? There's no, it, you're, you're not at peace, and you're missing something that God wants to give to you. He's the Prince of Peace, and he wants to bring that peace into your heart. Outwardly. Paul says, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with other people. You're only responsible for your side of the street, but you're responsible for your side of the street. And as much as it depends on you and your primary relationships, would you say, yeah, I'm living at peace there with mom and dad and husband and wife and kids and boss and best friend, whoever those people are in your primary circle, would you say, yeah, I'm living at peace there? Or would you say, no, there's no peace there. There's conflict, there's strife, there's bitterness, there's misunderstanding, there's disappointment, there's frustration. If so, then you're missing something that the king wants to bring to you. He's, again, the prince of peace. And that's, that's what he brings to us, what he wanted to bring to these people in, in, in Jerusalem. And if, if you'll choose to live under his reign, then you can rightfully expect the benefits of that reign, which are peace, upwardly, I'll it a word, up in peace with the Lord, peace internally and peace with others. Last question. What does the king want from you? Again, this donkey deal, it, to me, it's a, such a huge point of emphasis. Five times in about five verses, they make this big deal about untying the donkey. When you see the donkey, untie the donkey, and the donkey will be tied, and they go and they untie the donkey. Why are you untying the donkey? Because it, five, Read it five times. They talk about untying the donkey. There's, I don't want to make more of that than there needs to be. But at some point, the king is going to ask you for something. And some of us say, well, he can come get whatever he wants. My life is open. He can take it. I wonder if what this thing is saying is you've got to untie the donkey. You've got to give it to him. He's not going to come and take it. You have to, there's an intentional act on our part to, to give him whatever it is that he's asking for. And again, he's the king. So if you've said yes to him, then you've willingly put yourself under the rule of a king. And that means everything you have, everything you are, it's at his disposal. I don't know that there's ever a donkey in the history of the world that had a better job than being ridden by Jesus that day. 
That's got to be at the pinnacle of donkey careers. And it's the same thing for us. It's not that he wants to take your stuff and kick it around and get it all dirty and break it. Whatever he takes from you, whatever that thing is, he will elevate it. It will fill its purpose in a way that you can't do. Just him using it will elevate, again, just like it did with this donkey. I'm sure people ask for stories. Tell us how that was when Jesus rode you, hee-haw, and they talk and donkey talk and do all that stuff. And that's how it is for us. Whatever he wants from you, it infuses your stuff, whatever that is, whether it's money or time or relationships or talent, whatever it is, when he uses it, it infuses those things with a deeper level of purpose, with a higher level of meaning. There's a risk involved in saying, "Ah, I'm going to give it to you. What are you going to do with it? There's a realization, I hope. He's a good king. And anything he does with whatever you give him, it's better than what you can do with it on your own. Immediately before this story, there's a parable that ties in. It's the parable of the ten miners. Your Bible might say the ten pounds. And it's about a guy that says there's a nobleman, and he's going off to be crowned the king. And so he goes off on this long journey. And before he goes, he takes ten servants, and he gives each one of them a mina or a pound, which was three or four months worth of salary. And so he leaves, and these guys, they actually send a delegation after him to say, we don't want him to be the king. And he's gone for a long time, and he becomes the king, and he comes back, and he says, what did you guys do with my money? I told you to do something with it. And so they line up, and the first guy says, you know, I turned it over ten times. Tenfold profit for you. And the guy says, that's great. You get ten cities. Second guy, what did you? I made five times, fivefold profit. The guy says, great. You get five cities. What about you? This guy comes up and he's trembling. He says, I put it in a cloth because I was afraid of you because you're a hard man and you put in what you, where you didn't, you reap where you didn't sow and you put in what you, you take out what you didn't put in. And the guy says, I'm going to hang you on your own words. If, if you knew I was that kind of guy, why didn't you at least get the money plus interest? Take it away from him and give it to the guy who has 10 cities. And as for those guys that tried to keep me from from becoming king, bring them here and kill them in front of me. It's a parable. You don't start looking for, well, is that Jesus and all those things. You can't press the details too much. The point is this. Just like in the story we just read, there's a king. And just like the people, they didn't recognize that Jesus was, they didn't recognize the type of king Jesus was going to be. So it was easy for them to miss him. For us, the king has gone away for a while. It's easy for us to miss the fact that he is alive and he is real and he is the king. And just like he goes and he says, I need that donkey to all of us, he gives us stuff and he's at some point going to say, what did you do with what I gave you? It's the same question. Me asking, what does he want from you? is the same question as me saying, what did he give you? It's, they're the same. The answer is the same. Whatever he gave you, that's what he wants from you. That's what he wants to use to fulfill his plans and purposes in the world and in the community where you live. And at some point, he's going to come back, and he's going to say, what did you do? How did you use it? He's going to want an answer. That's not a pressure thing at all. I hope it's a privileged thing to say he's including you in what he's doing. You might just feel like all you have is a donkey. It's enough. It's enough. He'll use all of the gifts and talents you have. Money is an easy one. 
time, I think, maybe is more for us where we live now. A lot easier for a lot of us to write a check than to actually show up. Think about the last week. You had 168 hours. How many of that? How many of those hours would you say you gave to the king? Not how many were you in church. That's irrelevant. How many hours did you give to the king? Jesus says the two most important things are to love God and to love people. So if you think back over the last week, how many of your 168 went to loving God or loving people? Don't feel guilty about that. Just think about it. I think that's probably what he's asking for from a lot of us. More time. And you say, that's the one thing I don't have to give. There's no margin for me. He's the king. He doesn't live in the margins. He lives in the middle. And you work everything else around it, whatever that looks like. If he's asking for five, then you give him five. If he's asking for ten, you give him ten. If he wants 30 minutes, you give him 30. Whatever that looks like. He's the king. All of it's his. We respond to him, and that's what he's looking for from us. Real quick, are you missing the king in some area of your life? Have you received the peace of the king in every area of your life? And is there anything that you think the king is saying, I want that from you for my purposes? Let's pray. God, you're the king and you're also our father. And that's a great combination. We don't have to be intimidated by you, scared of you, nervous about what you're going to do with us because you're a great dad. And you're also the king of everything that is. So what I, my prayer for all of us is that we would choose to live under the rule and reign of the King Jesus. God, if there are people in this room who've, been, who've missed you for whatever reason, they've just, they've just been missing you, maybe even for years. God, my prayer, I know I don't have the words, my prayer would be that your spirit would speak to them and would call them home. They would realize they've been living counter to the way you created them, counter to the way you designed the universe. And they would just stop and turn around and say, I want to start living under the rule and reign of this king who promises me peace. Tired of my life being shattered broken. I'm ready for it to be put back together. God, I also want to pray for those who maybe just need to recognize that you are the king. There's a tendency in some of us to try to kind of bump you off the throne and sit there and we try to hold our life together. And that wears us out. And Lord, I want to pray today for those and that there would be just a of surrender in their heart, where they'd, they'd realize somebody's already there and you're not taking applications. The role is filled. There is a king, and he is on the throne, and he's got it. He's got you. Colossians 1, he holds all things together, so you don't have to hold anything together. If you just need to surrender to the Lord and just kind of release those things, my encouragement is that you would do that this morning. And acknowledge the fact that he's the king. And you might not know how this stuff is going to play out. But you know him. And you can trust him. God, for any that need peace this morning, I pray. That your spirit would minister that peace into every area of our life. That we would walk out of here. Uh, not just without striving in our hearts. But full of harmony, well-being in every area of life. I pray it in Jesus' name.
Amen. We're going to close like this. We're going to have communion. If you're helping with that, if you would come up here. The way we take communion here at Stonebridge is during this last song. You guys are free to come up at some point during the song if you would like to. You don't need to feel any pressure to take communion. Um, there'll be Somebody will be holding a loaf of bread. Just rip off a piece of that bread, dip it in the juice, and then um, eat it. We're going to let this row, kind of the first half of this row, and these first few chairs here, this will be our altar. So if, if you there's something stirring in your heart and you want to pray, then you can kneel down here and we'll leave you alone. If you would like somebody to pray with you, like talk to somebody and have them praying with you, maybe you can just hold your hand up and we'll have some ministry teams that will slip over to you and pray. But if you don't do that, we'll, um, we'll leave you alone. So you guys can stand up. Uh, Bo is going to lead us in worship and he'll cut us loose when we're done. You guys want to slide in a little bit?